So one thing about me is when I was growing up, I was like, had this obsession with having an iPhone. I had owned iPods growing up, and so I had this massive iTunes library. Like every birthday, Christmas, I'd ask for gift cards, and I was stockpiling this huge library of music. And I was like, okay, if I get an iPhone, I can have all that with me. I can bring it all anywhere I go. And it's like not only that, but iPhones were like essentially the smartphone option for years, right? That was like the one thing. And in my head, if you had an iPhone, you were instantly like living your best life now. You also had instant like status and swagger. And I, there was the camera on the iPhone that makes any person just look beautiful. And I always wanted to take good pictures. So I was like, yes, I need an iPhone. I'm going to get it. I'm going to take great, amazing photos. And I'd seen friends and family members with them. And I just wanted one so bad. But I didn't have the money. And part of that was I didn't prioritize it. Like, let's be real. Like, I was prioritizing lame things like going to college and like going marry me later. But I settled for this like little junky Android phone. And it was that like so junky that it becomes invincible. Like you can't break it. Like I was running one time in Chicago because I ran everywhere. And I had a, in my pocket in a vest because I was weird in high college. And it fell out and it ki- my foot kicked it and it slid 30 feet almost into Lake Michigan and it was unscratched. It was invincible. But that day happened My father-in-law had a need, and he gives it to me, and I get my coveted iPhone, and I rush to the store and activate it and start using it, and this amazing thing happened. I hated it. It was terrible. I was used to Android. It was completely different, and it, it, it was everything I thought it would be, but it wasn't. And so I was like, okay, this isn't what I want, so I passed it along to my wife, because I was like, you get the best in life. Sometimes we pursue things in life that we think will make us happy. Things that we think will fill that void that we have in our lives. Entertainment, money, relationships, whatever we can think of that, in the words of Marie Kondo, will spark joy. But time and time again, these things that we look to fill us leave us more empty than even before. Today we're going to continue in our series in Ecclesiastes called Money, Sex, and Power and see what God has for us in his word today. And last week, Pastor Gary introduced us to Solomon, the richest, wisest man to ever exist. He then walked us through the first chapter of this book where Solomon, the guy who has everything that you could imagine and even more, he comes to this mountain of success and says, it's meaningless. In the first chapter of Ecclesiastes, Solomon is focused on wisdom. He says, I'm looking for meaning in life. What about wisdom? What if I know things? What if I'm wise? What if I keep searching? And he comes to this point and he says about wisdom, he says, for in much wisdom is much vexation, and he who increases in knowledge increases in sorrow. Solomon's like, eh, this ain't working for me. So Solomon moves on to his next venture. He's like, all right, meh. Forget that. Tried that. Uh, Let's see what else. Let's try joy. Let's see if that will bring me some purpose in life. So we're going to be picking up in Ecclesiastes 2, starting in verse 1. It says this, I said in my heart, come now, I will test you with pleasure. Enjoy yourself. But behold, this was vanity or meaninglessness. I said of laughter, it is mad and of pleasure. What use is it? Solomon says to himself, this whole wisdom thing has gotten me nowhere. Let's try pleasure, happiness, excitement, entertainment. 
that for sure will bring me this contentment, this sense of fulfillment that I'm looking for. But before we can even guess how this journey is going to go for Solomon, Solomon's like, nope, vanity, meaningless. It's nothing. And you could be like, okay, wait, 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 wait. Surely Solomon had to try everything. He, he had to miss something, right? He, he would have found joy in something. So let's see what that list of was that Solomon tried. In verse 3, it says this. I searched with my heart how to cheer my body with wine, my heart still guiding me with wisdom, and how to lay hold on folly till I might see what was good for the children of man to do under heaven during the few days of their life. Solomon first seeks out pleasure in the company of wine. And there's two ways we can kind of look at this, and I think both equally apply. Firstly, that Solomon was like, all right, I'm going to find enjoyment in being a wine connoisseur. He has his own fields. He has his own servants. He has everything he needs to make the finest batches of wine that the Middle East has ever seen. And we know that, hey, if he can't make it, he's getting shipments from all around the world, known world at that point. I'm sure he was getting shipments of alcohol from all the different regions of the world. And so here's the thing about me. I've been in food service for 12 years now. And the reason I got into it and the reason I've stayed into it for so long is because I have an affinity for food. I want to eat it. I want to create with it. I want to push the boundaries of how can it taste. And anytime I like cook a meal at home or cook a meal at work, I'm analyzing it. I'm breaking it down, trying to figure out how I can make it better. And being interested in food makes me like have this desire to seek it out, to spend time and money finding places that are doing really good food. And one of the things I really like searching out is a good donut. Like, not that like dried up gas station donut that's been there for a, a while. Not that bakery where you go and you like peek and you kind of see through the back door and there's just like this bucket that's like this tall and there's like crusty sugar on the lid and the like sign on the bucket just says filling. Like, no, I'll take that. I'm looking for the designer donut. I'm looking for that places that's like imported ingredients and it's made from scratch and it's got to be delicate and nice and sweet, but not too sweet. And it's got to be mind-blowingly delicious. And I've found donuts like that. I've spent $4 on one donut. That is, a, that is an expensive donut. It's a little too expensive. <laughs> How did it make me feel after I ate it? That's yummy. But then it's gone. So no matter how good of wine Solomon was making and drinking, no matter the complexities, the notes, the subtle hints, at the end of the day, it left him feeling empty. So what about the other effect of wine? What about the intoxicating feeling? Well, no matter how much Solomon drinks, whether to feel a fleeting sense of numbing, whether it's to party harder, whether it's to black out and forget it all, in the end, it doesn't fill you. In the end, it's just another attempt to amuse, another failed attempt at fulfillment. And you may notice that throughout this process, Solomon is going to be saying that his heart is guided by wisdom. And by this, Solomon means that he's like doing this scientific process and documenting, and he's on this journey of discovery where he's using the wisdom he has, and he's using his scientific knowledge to say, I'm going to make a complete list. I'm going to use my human earthly wisdom to find something more in this life. So let's see what else he tries. Verse 4 says this, <clears throat> I made great works. I built houses. I planted vineyards for myself. 
I made myself gardens and parks. I planted in them all kinds of fruit trees. I made myself pools from which to water the forests of growing trees. <clears throat> Solomon says, fine, if I can't eat and drink my way to happiness, I'll find it in my work. And maybe that even worked for Solomon in the, his past. See, one of the things that God reserved for Solomon to do was build a magnificent temple for him. God gave directive and called Solomon to labor for years to build something that would stand as the house of the Lord, something beautiful, something great. Can you imagine the feeling Solomon had when he works for seven years of his life and his father before him had worked for years of his life gathering the materials he would need. And there's finally this moment of completion when the temple is finished and the spirit of God literally descends upon this building. What a rush that Solomon must have felt. What a feeling of completion, of success in his calling. Solomon may have been trying to throw himself into his work to find that feeling of purpose and calling that he had once did years later or years earlier. Not only was Solomon no stranger to building and creating and laboring, he was the king at the time. That's kind of just what kings do. You build a temple, people come to your city. More money for you. You build gardens, you have access to fresh produce and thereby wealth and influence. You build a house for yourself so that you gather respect and show your power and authority. Solomon went a step further to engineer pools and waterways in order to bring valuable life-giving water to have it whenever he needed. He gave himself into his work. He poured all of his wisdom, his resources, his time into building, creating, managing. And where did that get him? His buildings would need repairs. They would crumble in time. They're not still standing today. Others after him would build bigger houses, more ornate temples, gardens with better produce. His inventions would be replaced with something better, faster, stronger, more efficient. Everything that he worked on would fade. And how did he feel? Vanity, meaningless, just chasing after the wind. Now, needless to say, I haven't built anything like that. I mean, I don't know if that's a surprise to you, but I, I don't know how it feels to build a whole house or to build temples or gardens, but I have given myself at different periods of my life into my work. There's been times when I've thrown myself into the culinary world full grasp, reading cookbook after cookbook, taking notes, trying recipes, watching cooking shows and videos, just trying to gather more knowledge and insight and make better and better, better food. And yet at the end of the day, I make food. It gets eaten then it turns into poop, and then it's gone. I've thrown myself into projects around the house, siding our house, repairing our drainage, creating a basement that can be used for my kids to play in. And then there's these like moments of pride and accomplishment and happiness, and then it starts to fade because it's a house, and it always has more projects to work on. Our work, our jobs, our calling, these are good things in our lives. God created us to work. We see throughout the Bible that it's important and beneficial for us as human beings to stay hard at work throughout our entire lives. The what and the how changes season by season by season. Your work will look different now than it will in 10 years. But we're made to work. And there is a sense of accomplishment and excitement that comes with completing tasks and performing well. The danger, though, comes when we try to let our work be how we find who we are, or when we try to find our ultimate fulfillment in our jobs, in our work. 
But Solomon didn't stop here in his search for pleasure with his work. Let's keep going. In verse 7, it says this. I bought male and female slaves and had slaves who were born in my house. And I also had great possessions of herds and flocks, more than any who had been before me in Jerusalem. I also gathered for myself silver and gold and treasures of kings and provinces. I got singers, both men and women. Since his work was not doing the trick, Solomon goes, well, what about stuff? Everyone loves stuff. Let's try stuff. I do, he's like, I enjoy finding and obtaining things. Let's see and push that to the limit and see what I can gather that will finally make me happy. So he gathers, starting first with people. And I think it's worth pausing here for a second and noting that depending on what version of the Bible you are reading, it might say servants and it might say slaves. Either way, both of those are referring to a concept that is different than what we know, different than the slavery that we've seen in the past hundred thousand years. This isn't slavery based on the color of one's skin. This isn't slavery without rules. This isn't slavery without protection. And this thing that we're talking about here in the Bible, it doesn't mean that it wasn't wrong. It doesn't mean that it didn't have issues. It doesn't mean it wasn't a product of a fallen world. But it's different than what we think of as slavery. One such example of how it's different but still not great is from Deuteronomy 15. God says that slaves who are Hebrews are supposed to be released after six years of service. But if a slave just said, this household is the best place for me. This household has protection. This place, they're taking care of me. This is the best job. This is the best area of my life. I can't get better anywhere else. They would actually take, they could have the decision to take a wooden owl, like a stake, and nail their ear to the door, signifying, I give up myself to this household. I find protection. I find strength. I find meaning in being in this household. So I'm going to relinquish my rights and stay here. So it's weird and it's different. That kind of makes sense culturally. But one way or another, Solomon was seeking out to have people under his personal control and authority. He wanted to increase his workforce, wanted to demonstrate that he had wealth. Because having a number of slaves or servants meant more money and more power for him. And it just made him look more impressive. He also gathered herds, flocks, again, increasing his wealth, increasing his power, building the size of his personal estate. He even puts out that no one before him had gathered as much as he did. He gathers to himself all the gold and silver and jewels, lining his pockets with wealth and hoarding all the riches that he can. It says he gathered the treasure of kings and provinces. That simply means he was taxing his people and the people all around him and gathering everything he can. He's the king. He wants the random weird trinkets your country makes. He wants the money, the jewels. He wants the artwork you make. He wants the machines you come up with. He's gathering it all for his collection. And I got to be real here. This part kind of hit me a little bit because as much as it bugs me a lot about myself, and then sometimes I'm like, eh. I can tend to be a bit of a collector. Now Solomon, I'm sure in his day, had some pretty fine artifacts for sure. But he never had one of these. This is a 1999 base set holographic Charizard Pokemon card. In March of this year, a similar card sold for a record $311,000. 
this card is worth not that much. It's the wrong version, and it's not in great condition. But it's just one of the many, many, many Pokemon cards I own as an adult. A real adult. I've also collected Frisbee golf discs. So many so that I had to build like a special shelf for them. And then I'm running out of room, so I might have to build another shelf. And I didn't even mention the video game systems, the mountain of books, the Zippo lighters, the pocket watches, the pocket knives. Collected a lot. And guess what? Each time I collect a new one of those, it doesn't fill me. It leaves me empty. It leaves me wanting more, wanting something better. I'll never have the biggest or best collection, and it just makes me all that. Eh. But what about entertainment? Surely that will do the trick in Solomon's situation, right? Let's read verse 8. I got singers, both men and women. I'm sure the singers were a part of his collection as like, you know, a gathering of influence. But come on, the singers you must have had? Can you imagine having any singer you wanted on your beck and call? Forget making a playlist in Spotify or iTunes. How about a daily playlist of, hey, I'm going to pick my music for this day. So it'd be like, hmm, well, I will take some smooth Jason Mraz to start off my morning, a little, mm, I'm on a highland, and then I'm going to work out, so I need a little journey and a little survivor. They're going to be playing in the corner as I'm running down the track. And then how about in no particular order, like, let's get some Rolling Stones, some Beyonce, some Celine Dion, and I'm going to fall asleep to the soothing sounds of Ed Sheeran. That's how he lived. If he wakes up in the middle of the night and is like, hey, come sing for me. I need to go back to bed. They were there. How many people have spent hundreds of thousands of dollars getting to the front row of their favorite singer, their favorite band, following their favorite band as they go across tour on, across the country, or spending hours just listening to an album over and over and over. Solomon had it. All that and more. Whatever he wanted. And again, it didn't fill him. It wasn't all that he thought it would be. Just another empty pleasure that fades. But what about sexual pleasure? What about that thing that so many have sought after in their lives? Verse 8 says this. And many concubines, uh, talking about gathering, and many, he gathered many concubines, the delight of the sons of man. And so I became, he became great and surpassed all who were before me in Jerusalem. Also my wisdom remained with me. And whatever my eyes desired, I did not keep from them. I kept my heart from no pleasure. For my heart found pleasure in my work or my toil, and this was my reward for all my toil. Again, Solomon is talking about his wisdom, basically his knowledge and shrewdness that allows him to scientifically pursue pleasure to its utmost. And in case you had any doubt in this, Solomon points out that he's become greater than anyone else. Solomon says this in verse 10, and it breaks my heart. He says it again, and whatever my eyes desired... I did not keep from them. I kept my heart from no pleasure. I've seen that in so many people's lives acted out. If you had any doubt to what extent Solomon sought after, he withheld nothing. It didn't matter if he broke the rules. It didn't matter if he hurt people. It didn't matter what he did to his body or to other people. He had resources. He had power. He, and no one gets in the way of the king. Anything you can imagine and more. And the reason this breaks my heart is because I've seen this. I've been this before. Seen someone I love or even experienced it personally, this idea of I'm going to 
I'm going to pursue this. I'm going to get the thing that I desire, no matter what the consequences, no matter what the cost, no matter who I hurt, I want it and I will have it. Studying this passage this week, I couldn't help but mourn for Solomon's wives and concubines. And concubines are like wives with less authority and power in the Middle East, so they have nothing. These women, some we know Solomon married for political gain. Some we know he might have married for status. But how many of these wives were just sexual objects to him? How many women did he see and decide to marry just so he could exploit them and make sure he was the only one that would have them? And in case you're kind of thinking, well, they still got to be married to the king. Like, so at best, they had their physical needs met. But what about their desires and the life they might have had? Did they even want to marry him in the first place? Did they have a choice? Probably not. How did it feel to be married to Solomon? And what about the rest of their lives once Solomon had moved on to the next woman? He created a harem for himself, a group of women reserved just for him to take sexual pleasure in. Let that sink in. Let that break your heart. And not only did he rob those women of the life that God had intended in a partnership between one man and one woman, but he robbed himself. The book of Song of Solomon, another book written by Solomon, is this epic, beautiful story of romance and the relationship of a man and a woman over a period of time. And they're in love and they're working through things and it's going great and it captures that. But how often did Solomon actually have that? See, sex was made by God as a gift, a wonderful, fantastic gift. But when we try to have it outside of how God has established it, that gift turns painful really fast. And what was supposed to be a satisfying, life-giving thing to a couple instead leaves you feeling emptier than you were before, and it leads you needing something else, craving something that isn't yours. Uh, When I was 12, I started getting into pornography. For about two to three years, it was a constant daily search for gratification, trying to find some image or some experience that would fulfill the desire and fulfill this hole inside of me. It was ripping me apart because I knew it wasn't right. I knew it wasn't what God wanted, but I wanted something to make me feel good, and I wanted something to fill fill not just the sexual desire, but the loneliness and the insecurity that I had. So I was hiding this problem as it grew worse and worse, as it required more and more to feed. And every time it just left me feeling terrible about myself and completely empty. Thankfully, God used a high school youth event to open my eyes to the destruction that pornography was having in my life. And God started this process of breaking me free from those chains. And now I can declare victory and live a different life. And I don't have to be a slave to that. And I want to encourage you and anyone who's here, if this is your struggle, you can find victory. But firstly, God has to be what you pursue in your life first and foremost. And also, it's not going to mean that the temptation goes away completely, but it does mean that God will give you the freedom and the desire to say no and to choose a different path. But how did it go for Solomon? having everything his eyes could ever want. Verse 11 says this. 
Then I considered all that my hands had done and the toil I had expended in doing it, and behold, all was vanity and a striving after the wind, and there was nothing to be gained under the sun. My coworkers have this like common saying of like when you ask them like how they're doing or how their day is going, the PG version of it is same poop, different toilet. This idea of the same old meaningless thing day after day. All of Solomon's pleasures left him feeling empty. His journey to find meaning left him with nothing to show. Solomon gets to the top of this mountain that he's climbing. And he looks around and he finds emptiness. Solomon's journey is kind of like those uh, blocks that babies and toddlers have where it's like a hollow block with shapes cut into the sides. And you see babies and toddlers sometimes taking the square shape and they're slamming and slamming and slamming it into the circle. And it never goes in. But they're trying to fill that space. They're trying to get something to work. But we aren't done with Solomon yet. We got one more thing to learn from him today. Verse 12 says this. So I turned to consider wisdom and madness and foolishness or folly. For what can the man do who comes after the king? Only what has already been done. Then I saw that there's more gain in wisdom than in foolishness, as there's more gain in light than darkness. The wise person has his eyes in his head, but the fool walks around in darkness. And yet I perceive that the same event happens to all of them. Then I said in my heart, what happens to the fool will also happen to me. Why then have I been so very wise? And I said in my heart that this is also vanity. For the wise as of the fool, there's no enduring remembrance, seeing that in the days to come, all will have been forgotten. How the wise dies just like the fool. So I hated life. Because what is done under the sun is grievous to me. For all is vanity and striving after the wind. Solomon realizes that wisdom has its place. And that wisdom is better than foolishness. Wisdom does protect you from hurting yourself and others when you listen to it. The Bible talks about time and time again about wisdom and foolishness and as Christians we're supposed to live discerning lives. Lives where we don't walk around with our eyes closed to the events and the people around us. Lives where we think about how others are feeling and think about how we act and how that makes them feel. We're called to consider others and not act out of our anger or our jealousy. But in spite of all that, at the end of the day, the wise man and the foolish man both die. They both end their lives on this earth with the same exact result, death. Solomon asked the question, so why does it even matter if I act wisely or foolishly? My life will end the same way. I will die and be forgotten no matter how I live, and my collection will just come to my bozo son. Because Solomon, once again, is going back to trying to find meaning in his wisdom, trying to find meaning in life here on earth, or as he would say, life under the sun. So we end this passage today, and I'm going to read that again, verse 17. He says this, So I hated life, because what is done under the sun was grievous to me, for all is vanity and a striving after the wind. His wisdom, the thing that he prides himself in, that he values, that he finds strength in, has failed him. The pleasure he sought after has left him feeling empty and didn't give him the meaning he was looking for. The work that he had spent so much of his life on has left him with nothing to show internally. Have you felt that ever? Have you been to that place? Experienced a moment like that? 
when our jobs that we worked tirelessly after and we gave years of our life and we invested in, they're gone in just a moment. Or our work no longer has meaning or we're cycled out into a new job and we do the same thing day in and day out and it's vanity. It's meaningless. Or when the entertainment that we've sought after, the TV shows binge, the movie marathons, the concerts, the sporting events, the video games, the social media platforms, the parties we've attended, the people we've tried to be around, the sexual gratification that we've poured ourselves into, when all that ends up leaving us feeling empty and with nothing but wasted time, longing for something more, vanity. And this might even be roles in your life. Ever since I was young, I wanted to be a dad and I wanted to be a father or a husband. Like, I desired it for years. And I love being the father of two kids. I love being a husband. Those are meaningful parts of my life. But if I rely on those good things, I rely on those two roles to fulfill my everything, it's not going to work. Those things will fail me. Again, these things aren't all bad things. They just aren't meant to give our lives ultimate meaning. Solomon pursued a lot of things in his life. Some of the things he pursued were good and noble and righteous, but he pursued them as idols, things that were meant to replace God in his life, things that went before God in his life. Some of the stuff Solomon pursued, he was not even supposed to go near things that are outside of God's plan, things that God warns us against for our best lives. He tried them, and guess what he found? There's a reason God warned against them. We all have this innate desire in us and longing for something more in this life. There's a part of us that is calling out to God. It's there before we know God, and guess what? It's there when we know Jesus and follow him and have the Holy Spirit working inside of us because that desire, that desire is still there because our relationship with God is that, a relationship, an ongoing thing. And if we aren't actively walking with God, aren't actively seeking him, seeking to know him, seeking his will for our lives and living inside those boundaries that God placed for us, if we don't have that going for us, we're just toddlers trying to stick the rectangle in the circle-shaped hole. It ain't ever going to fit. Because as humans, we are great at making idols out of anything and everything. We can take the most good, wholesome things, as positive as like feeding orphans or taking care of widows, and we can make it into something ugly in our hearts. So my question for you today is this. What is it in your life that is trying to take the place of your relationship with God? What are you pursuing to fill that hole, that void in your life? This is going to require you to process through the things in your life. So I'm actually going to give you a minute of silence. And it's going to be hard, and it's going to be awkward. But ask God to place on your heart whatever it is, whatever you've been trying to find meaning in. And maybe it's something good and righteous in your life, but it's taking your focus away. Maybe it's a sin or a problem in your life that has distracted you completely and is robbing you of time and focus with God. Like I said, in my life, it's been a lot of, it's been some good things, it's been some bad things. The things where I said, I'm going to pursue this because I want something to fill the hole that God is supposed to be filling. So I'm going to give you a minute. 
sit there, bow your heads, close your eyes, whatever you need to do. Just get alone with God for a second and say, God, what have I been trying to put in that will never replace what you're supposed to be in my life? God has placed something in your heart. Don't ignore it. There's still something where you're like searching and searching. I would say spend some time with God this week and say, what, what needs to go? Or what needs to just have priority switch? Because like I said, sometimes it's great things like being a parent or serving others. Sometimes those things get twisted in our hearts. Uh, Jesus talked to someone who was trying to fill a hole inside of her. And many of you may be familiar with the story of the woman at the well. But Jesus meets a woman where she's at, and she's longing for fulfillment, and she's longing for meaning in her life. John 4, 13 says this. Jesus said to her, everyone who drinks of this water will be thirsty again. But whoever drinks of the water that I will give will never be thirsty again. The water that I will give him will become in him a spring of water welling up to eternal life. The woman said, sir, give me this water so that I will not be thirsty or ever have to come here to draw water. Are you drinking the water that God offers? Are you finding your joy and your meaning through God? Are you going to him each day for your strength, for your happiness, for your contentment? Because the world and the things inside of this world will fail you and, bring you and will fail to bring you joy or meaning. But God won't. God says, drink from my well. Find your meaning in me. And then the good things that I have given you will be so much better. And you will be satisfied. Would you guys pray with me? Lord, there are so many things vying for our attention in this world. Some good things, some bad. Things that we want to place as most important in our, in our lives. Things that we want to take joy or pleasure in but it's the joy or pleasure we're supposed to be getting from you first. God, move in our lives. Speak to us this week. Let us know the things that need to go or the priorities that need to be shifted so that we can fully enjoy not just you, but this world that you've placed us in. Work in our lives so that we may be witnesses to who you are. In your holy and precious name, Lord, amen. Thank you all for being here. I hope you have a wonderful week.
Don't forget what God shared with you today.